This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for October 29th, 2023. The title of the message is Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you would turn with me, we begin a new series. Um, a, a larger overarching series we're beginning uh, entitled Life in the Kingdom. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be going through, uh, as I'm going to mention in a moment, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And uh, this morning we, I want to begin with an introduction to both the, the Sermon on the Mount as well as uh, the Beatitudes, which we will be uh, beginning in earnest next week. If you have a different translation or you have a, a different Bible, you can follow along uh, with the slide behind me or, or you can uh, just read along in the bulletin. Hear now the reading of God's holy word beginning in Matthew chapter five. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. This past summer, uh, my family... Uh, my family and I, we went to, uh, we spent three days in Tokyo, Japan, as well as uh, a little under a month in Seoul, South Korea, in, in various parts of Seoul, South Korea, uh, Jeju Island, and we had a wonderful time. It was just, it was an amazing time to visit family, to uh, worship with uh, the saints in, in Korea, and in particular also with my family and um, to eat different foods that I haven't eaten since I was uh, little and foods that I don't normally eat and new foods in Japan to hear, to be, to hear uh, completely different language and feeling like a foreigner. I mean, really feeling like uh, a foreigner um, where most people, uh, particularly in Japan, don't know any English, you know, when, we take for granted that when we go uh, to certain places, 
most people will have a little modicum of, of knowledge of English, but in Japan it seems like uh, most people don't. So uh, that was a little difficult, but, um, but in preparation for that trip, I uh, immersed myself as much as I could with the country, the people, the customs, the culture. Uh, and when I got to my, um, to, I went, when I went to AAA to, to uh, sign up for my international driver's license, they had this whole book rack of different travel guides for, for all of these countries. And so I spent a good 20, 30 minutes thumbing through uh, the travel guide for Japan and South Korea. And you know these books were thick. They were filled with maps, you know, places to go, places to eat, places to see, how to get around. And they had headings like, um, you know, you know what not to say, you know, when you're in Japan. What not to do when you're in Japan. How to behave. Uh, and 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 because I guess these uh, these. Travel guides were geared towards Americans who go. They're like things you things to to watch out for uh, in Japan, and um, and so you know there were things like you know it's bad manners to talk in the subway, and I was like, wow, you know it's I mean they expect silence in the subway, and so if you talk, you know it's bad manners. People will look at you, and. Um, or if you go to a restaurant and you leave a tip, uh, the waiters or the waitresses will grab the money and they'll run, up, run outside after you uh, thinking that you left money. And the reason is because um, you know, tips are considered bad manners to the servers. Um, you know, they, they don't leave tips. Uh, that, that's another thing too, you know, being in another country and like not leaving a tip. I felt real, I mean, I was like, what and um, and then and then there was a stark difference as well. You know when we went when we, when we went from Japan to Korea, where you could be as loud as you want. I mean, you know, to a certain extent, but you could talk, uh, and it wasn't frowned upon. And so there's all kinds of people talking to their spouses, their children, friends, and you wouldn't blink twice. Uh, or, for example, you know, in Japan, you were not supposed to, not that you're supposed to make a lot of noise while you're eating, but, you know, you're, you're supposed to be as quiet as you can, and the only noise you ought to make when you're eating in Japan is you can slurp your noodles. You can be as loud as you want when you're slurping noodles, and I was like, oh, that's great. But, uh, but when you're in Korea, I mean, you don't want to, you know, be, um, you don't want to be boorish, but, you know, if you're, while you're eating, you make noise, and, and that means you're enjoying your food, you know? So, so we, we like to eat and make noise as we're eating and talk, and, you know, whereas in Japan, it was just like, you eat, it's all straight business. Uh, you don't really talk that much, and, and uh, it was such stark differences, too. And you could tell also who the Americans were. Because whether you're in Japan or in Korea, they were extra loud. <laughs> and, uh, and so we all st stuck out like sore thumbs. But what was interesting about these travel guides was that they recognized 
that each culture and country and nation and people had a distinct way of living, distinct customs, language, uh, cultures that are different from, from uh, other people. And, and so it helped you navigate life in those cultures. And as we begin our series through Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 to 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, it is very much like that section in the travel guides that help you navigate the unique culture and customs, if you will, of living in the kingdom of God under the lordship of Christ. There's a certain, there's things that you're supposed to do and not do. Uh, there are certain characteristics that manifest uh, your kingdom citizenship. Uh, there is an ethic by which uh, citizens of the kingdom of God ought to live. And it's for us as people who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in, the, in his marvelous light. And that's what Jesus is doing as we begin uh, here in Matthew chapter 5. He's telling us what life in the kingdom of God is all about, what life is like, the character, the nature, the blessings, the responsibilities. And in doing all of that, he shows us the beauty and the grace and the glory of the kingdom of God. And so let me give you a brief overview uh, by asking the question, what is the Sermon on the Mount? First, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' extended teaching on the character and life in the kingdom of God. And it's traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount specifically because if you uh, followed with me in verse one, look at what, he's, what, what he says there. Matthew describes what happens, and he says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, sat down, and his disciples came down. This is, a, this is uh, a, the equivalent of a large lecture hall. He's climbing up his big, his uh, high podium on this mountain, and, you know, in the ancient Near East in that region, a mountain was, you know, for us, more like a, more like a tall hill so that everyone can see, but they can also hear. And he's talking to these large crowds of people who've come to, to hear him teach. And, uh, and that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, because it's, it is a long, extended teaching about the kingdom of God, summarized and condensed by Matthew. And, um, and so, We'll be going through all of the, these sections in the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and, it, and it's a comprehensive summary. Uh, you know, commentators have written that it is the most comprehensive uh, summary of what life ought to be like uh, in the kingdom of God found nowhere else in the rest of Scripture. Everywhere else are, are large chunks and kind of pieces and, and uh, you know, aspects of theology, but uh, nothing as comprehensive as the Sermon on the Mount, and, and that's why I'll be going through it, because I think it's helpful for us to understand, have a big picture view of what it means to be the Church of Jesus Christ, 
what it means to be uh, an embassy of the kingdom of God in this world, uh, what the kingdom of God is built upon, uh, what the people or the citizens of the kingdom of God, what they're like, how they ought to live, how they ought to speak, how, how, what their relationship with everyone else ought to be, what their relationship with God ought to be. Uh, maybe another way to talk about it is it is a comprehensive kingdom, world, and life view uh, and, and ethics for life. And so let me give you a little brief outline here. Uh, in the beginning here, what, I've, what we've read here at the beginning of uh, chapter 5, uh, he begins with the kingdom character of God's people, uh, traditionally called the Beatitudes. Uh, it's the old word for the blessedness. Uh, it can mean the happiness of, of God's people, the happiness that comes with these characteristics, or it could be the blessing of these characteristics in the life of God's people. And I think there's a, an aspect of both, and we'll go into that in the coming weeks. And then in verses 13 to 16, in the next section over, it is the kingdom influence of God's people, uh, how God's people are to be salt and light to the world, living distinctly, differently. Right? And then in the concluding section of chapter five, he gives us the kingdom ethics, uh, how we ought to live as God's kingdom people. And this is where Jesus shows us what it means to be righteous and how uh, our, our relationship with God ought to be shaped by his moral law, grounded in grace. Um, and one of the, uh, this is where we see in, in scripture that, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill them. And in, in fulfilling them, he fulfills them for us so that he can feel, fulfill them in us as we live for his glory. And then there's, you know, he goes into the, to the deeper teaching of the law. We think of the law more in terms of behavior, but Jesus includes the heart where he gives the, the, uh, the higher standard that if you're angry at your brother, you are guilty of murdering him in your heart. It talks about lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and then that the, this beautiful countercultural uh, ethic of loving your enemies and this radical uh, world-changing teaching. And then in the first section, the first half of chapter six, we have the kingdom devotion of God's people that ought to come from a sincere and devoted heart uh, given to the Lord so that who we are before the Lord is who we are at all times. Instead of being hypocrites, having one face before God and trying to show another face, a more pious, religious, uh, hypocritical face before other people. And, um, and this is where we see what it means to give to the poor and to the needy, uh, that, that that reflects uh, our, uh, our being adopted into God's family as God has been generous in giving us what we need as needy children. And then we talk, he goes into uh, how to pray, 
And then we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer and what it means then to fast. And then we're going to look at the, the uh, second half of chapter 6. We're going to look at the kingdom confidence that we ought to have because our treasure is not laid up in this world, but is being laid up in heaven where moths, rust, and thieves cannot steal. And when we have our treasure laid up in heaven, when, when our hope and our sense of identity is, is in heaven and not on earth, then that ought to sh- change the way we see everything. We don't have to be anxious about where we will eat, what we will wear, how we will live, because our treasure is in heaven and God provides for everything, we don't have to be anxious. And then we're going to look at uh, the, the first half of uh, chapter 7, how, how the kingdom shapes our relationships to God as his people, as his children, as citizens uh, of his kingdom, and also to our neighbors, to our neighbors. And so we're going to be looking at uh, if, yeah, about not judging others and then the, the, the relationship that we have where we can go before God and ask, uh, whatever according to his will, of course, but it will be given to us because we're his children. We're going to be looking at how to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then we're going to look at uh, the relationship that we have to God uh, as new creations, that good fruit, uh, good, good trees bear good fruit, whereas bad trees will bear bad fruit, and you will know them by their fruit. And it's going to make us consider what is the fruit that we are bearing in our lives? Does it reflect uh, the grace of God that has been given to us? Does it reflect our, our hearts and our lives as new creations? Or are we bearing bad fruit and we need to uh, get back to the, to the basics and go back to uh, the, the, the grace that God first showed us when, when he changed us, uh, when he saved us, when he caused us to be new creations? Or, and here's one more way to look at it, maybe you're not bearing fruit and maybe it's, you think you're a Christian Maybe you think you're living Christian lives uh, to the glory of God, but you bear absolutely no fruit. You have no, you have no interest in spiritual things. You know, uh, no, if nobody asks you to open the Bible, you never open a Bible. If nobody asks you to pray, you never pray. If, uh, if you didn't tell anybody that you're a Christian, no one would think you're a Christian. And it's, so, that, so we're going to have to, do some soul searching. Be like, am I really a Christian? Am I bearing good fruit? Am I bearing any fruit at all? Or am I bearing bad fruit? Uh, and how do I recognize where I stand with God by the fruit that I bear? And then towards the end, we're going to look at the, how the kingdom shapes all of our commitments to the Lord as we seek to build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. That, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna shake our world, I think. I think it's gonna shake 
it ought to shake us. And here's one of the maxims that uh, preachers hear, and uh, one of the maxims that I live by is, one of the goals of preaching is to um, comfort, comfort the ones who need God's grace and make uncomfortable uh, people who, who think that they know God's grace. Um, comfort the, comfort the, the, the ones who need uh, comforting and make uncomfortable those who are, are presumptuous, those who think they're saved but may not really be, people who think that they know Jesus but, uh, you know, they don't. You know, maybe they're, they're Christians in name only. Maybe they're, you know, Sunday-only Christians. Um, and on Judgment Day, uh, I think, you know, I have a great burden to bear on Judgment Day if that person who thought that they were a Christian because they went to church and they named the name of Jesus, but they didn't have real saving faith in which they built their whole lives with on, and they bore no fruit, then one day when, when ju- on Judgment Day, when, when that person says, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, you know, get away from me, I never knew you. Uh, you, you, never, you never put your faith in me. Uh, you used my name for whatever reason. You went to church. Uh, you did Christian things, but you never gave your whole life to me. And so we're going to be looking at uh, what Jesus has to say about that. And then we're going to look at the, in the concluding section, and it's one of my favorite uh, narratives in all of Scripture is, is where is building your house? How are you building your house, the house of your life? Are you building it on the sinking sand of, of the things of this world, your money, your resources, your time, your prestige, your power, maybe your, your own personal happiness, uh, other people, whatever idol you've made for yourself? Are you building the house of your life on that or are you building it on the solid rock of Jesus and his word so that no matter what happens, though there may be an earthquake, though there may be winds and waves and the circumstances of your life that, that, that come rushing against you, and if you've built your house on sand, it's going to be washed away. But if you built your house on the solid rock of Christ and his word, it will continue to stand so that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what your losses may be, whatever disappointments and heartbreaks you experience, your house still stands, your heart is still on that solid rock of Jesus that nothing can can shake, that nothing can break down. And it is with that confidence that you can go and, uh, and live as God's kingdom people. I hope that that is something that will, uh, that interests you. I hope it will be something that where you're thinking, man, you know, I know I have some areas in my life that I think are a little shaky and I, and I, I want the Lord to help me there. And I hope as we go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it will do that for you. And then, you know, there's so many wonderful passages here and I'll just share with you as a testimony, 
You know, there was a time in my life where I was living for myself and all my priorities, all my decisions were all about how to better and advance my life. And God was not even an afterthought. I mean, if, you, if I had a list of all my priorities, you know, Jesus would be somewhere like towards the end. And when, when all of those things that I had planned for myself were all failed one by one, when they, when they were taken away, when doors were closed, uh, rejections were given, uh, I, my identity had all been poured into those things, and when they were all gone, I felt like I had nothing to live for. I felt hopeless. I will never be happy. Um, you know, you go down this whole slide of, you know, if you don't get this thing, then you're not going to get the other thing, and then you're not going to get the other thing, and your life is, is over. And you spend two weeks just laying in bed, eating and going, taking, and not even taking a shower, but eating and, and, uh, and going to the bathroom for two weeks. Uh, and, then, and then realizing you'd been living for the wrong thing. And coming across Jesus' teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, calling us to seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all of these things that you'd been living for, he will give to you, but you have to put them in the right order. Uh, this brings us then to my, my second point, and I'll, I'll make it as short as possible. The Sermon on the Mount also uh, begins with this preface, this preamble, uh, some commentators will say, uh, of the character of God's kingdom. It's a list of how, not how to get into the kingdom as if you can earn it, but a description of what citizens of the kingdom ought to look like. The character of those who are already in the kingdom. And, uh, and Jesus is, is describing the character of God's people saved and transformed by his grace in the gospel. And so if this was the travel book that you look and it says, you know, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, you get to this part, it's gonna be under the section, what are the people of God like? How do they live? What kind of people are they? Why are they the way that they are? And so Jesus is gonna give us eight characteristics uh, beginning with the blessed poverty of spirit uh, where we receive then the kingdom of, of heaven because we are poor in spirit. Then we see the blessed mourning in verse, verse four and the comfort of the kingdom. The blessed meekness of the kingdom uh, who, will, uh, who will inherit the earth, verse five. The blessed hunger for righteousness that can only be satisfied in the gospel of Christ's righteousness, verse six. The blessed mercy for those who have received God's mercy in the gospel. The blessed purity by which uh, we, we can see God, the God who is himself pure and holy. The blessed peacemakers who, ref, who are the sons of God because we reflect the peacemaking God who is our father. And then we see the blessed persecution of those who suffer for the kingdom and so receive then the kingdom. And what all of these, uh, so all of these blessings serve as the preamble for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and they reflect the deeper gospel foundation upon which the entire kingdom of God is built. And what is that? The blessings of the kingdom through the blessing of the king himself. 
Without a, without a king, there is no kingdom. That's what the kingdom really is all about. It's not a, not a, a, geof, a geographic place. It's not merely a set of laws. It's not uh, a, a place in which we uh, are, are just citizens, but it is life under the kingship of Christ. And so the blessing of the Beatitudes is ultimately grounded in the blessing of Jesus himself. Uh, The blessing, the blessedness of God is the blessedness of having Christ himself, who is himself the gift of God, the very love of God incarnate. And so as we embark on this wonderful journey through the Sermon on the Mount, I hope that you will see that it all begins with the blessings of God's grace. It begins with the blessings of the kingdom that come in and through Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom, who is himself the deepest beatitude, the greatest blessing that God could ever give. And so let us see the character of the kingdom in which we have been blessed, the kingdom into which we have been born again into, so that we are now citizens and sons of the king. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for for your teaching about the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to meditate and to take in what it means to be citizens of your kingdom. Help us to understand and grasp the, the beauty of being blessed by you. We ask, Lord, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.